Yeah, let's hear it for the worship team. Little round of applause. Worship team, worship team. Turn to the person on your right. Turn to the person on your right. Say to them, thanks for sitting next to me. Thanks. They could have sat anywhere and they sat next to you. That is a compliment to you. Turn to the person on your left. Say to them, wow, your breath is minty fresh. That's good to know. That's good to know. Say to the person in front of you, say to the person in front of you, you are my new best friend. That's great. You are my new best friend. New best friend. New. New best friend. New. New best friend right there. Turn around to the person behind you. Say to them, if that's true, then you should buy me lunch. You should buy me lunch. Lunch. Yes, you should. Well, let me just say that uh, I was very impressed with you as a school yesterday. Uh, I thank you for the kindness and the respect you showed me. Uh, so happy to meet so many people yesterday. So many of you stuck around to say hi. Thank you for doing that. And I want to say that I am happy to be on this journey with you. I'm happy to be responding to my God like I'm calling you to respond to your God. And we are all in this together. Last night, I got a chance to meet with some of the leadership from the houses, and uh, we were able to just have dinner together and sit and talk, and that was just a huge blessing for me. And we are now walking through these three days talking about living right side up in an upside down world. Yesterday, we talked about our faith. And we said there are three things God requires of us. It's not optional. This is what he requires of you, but it's good for you. Act justly. Be men and women of character who do what's right in God's sight. Love mercy. Don't treat people the way they deserve. Treat people the way you want Jesus to treat you. And then walk humbly with your God. The reason you exist, honestly, is to glorify God. And what does it mean to glorify God? It means make him look good. By what comes out of your mouth, make him look good. By the way you act, make him look good. By the way you respond to one another, make him look good. By the way you drive your car, well, let's not get ridiculous. But the whole idea is, by our lives, we can make God look very good or we can make him look bad. Let's humbly walk with him. And now, this morning, I want to talk about our family. And I want to talk specifically about your relationship to your parents. Because in the long haul, this has the potential of really making you or breaking you, of building you or of bringing you down. Do you remember when you were little and do you remember some of the times you got in the most trouble? 
Do you remember that? Do you remember those times where you got totally busted? I want you to know, I remember those times. My father would call me. He would say, Gregory. Now, if he said Greg, oh boy, no problem. But if he said Gregory, I knew, oh, dead man walking. He would say, Gregory, come here. He would look at me and he would ask, did you do that? And I always wanted to say to him, no, this is my brother. My brother did it. Or no, it's my sister. She did it. But I was an only child, so I knew. I knew it would never work. So I'd have to say, yes, sir. He'd say to me, you go down to your room, and I'll be down in a moment to talk to you. Oh, wow. That was like the death sentence. So I'd go down to my room, and I'd wait. Sometimes 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then I'd hear those footsteps coming down the hall. And my father would walk in. And sometimes we would have this serious man to spec talk. But at other times, and I could remember these times, he would utter that now famous phrase. How many of you ever heard this before? He would look at me and he would say, Gregory, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. And I used to think, oh, well, then let me spank you and save you from all this misery. But I never said that out loud. And do you know what I realized? I realized it wasn't easy being a kid. It wasn't easy growing up. It wasn't easy being a teenager. Now I'm a parent. Now I have four children, and I've discovered it isn't easy being a parent. Look, if I had your parents in here, This morning, I would talk to them about what their responsibilities are. I would talk to them about what they need to do to better get along with you. Because I understand in the home today, there is a lot of brokenness. And all of us this morning, we carry wounds. We all carry wounds. Wounds from friends, wounds from a boyfriend or a girlfriend, wounds from a coach, wounds from a teacher, wounds from others. But nothing cuts as deep as parent wounds. And I understand that some of us live in homes where it is chaos. And we're experiencing those parent wounds. Let me just give you four examples, four parent wounds. Number one, the explosive abusive parent. The parent that goes off on you emotionally. Shut up! You idiot! You are worthless! You disgust me! Get out of my sight! You'll never amount to anything! Or worse. Or a whole lot worse. Physically abusive parents. 
And in your home, it's kind of like walking on eggshells. One day you can say something, do something, it's okay. The next day you do and say some of the same things and boom, they just explode at you. And there's a sense of insecurity and it builds anger and it builds bitterness inside of us. The explosive, abusive parent. Secondly, the never satisfied parent. Well, couldn't you have done better? You come home and you bring a report card, you have all A's and one B, and the first thing out of their mouth is, why couldn't you have gotten all A's? Hey, why didn't you play harder in that game? Why didn't you box out? Why didn't you make that shot? How come you didn't set that correctly? They're never satisfied. No matter what you do, they find something to complain about. And if I had your parents in here, I would say to them, look, I totally understand that you may be trying to motivate your child But then I'd say to the parent, how much does criticism motivate you? And the answer is, it doesn't motivate you at all. How much less does criticism motivate a teenager? And so we are so frustrated because our entire life, we're trying to win the love of a parent who's never satisfied no matter how hard we try. And that leaves a wound. And we begin to learn that love is conditional love. I'll love you if. I'll love you if you get your room clean. And I'll love you if you get all A's. And I'll love you if you meet my expectations. And so we carry that over in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We think to ourselves, well, God only loves me if I perform." If I meet certain expectations, if I read my Bible every day, if I pray every day, those are are the only ways I can win God's love. I have four children. When Justin was first born and they handed this baby to me and I held him and I looked at him, I immediately fell in love. And let me ask you this. What could Justin do for me at this point? Justin can't do anything for me. All Justin does is just cry and eat and sleep. He can't do anything for me. But I don't love him because he performs for me. I love him because he is my son. God doesn't love you because you perform for him. God doesn't love you because you meet a certain standard. God doesn't love you because you do A, B, C, D. God loves you because you are his son. You are his daughter. Do not allow a parent wound to draw you away from your heavenly father. Third type of parent wound is the emotionally withdrawn parent. They're there in the home, but they have stopped caring. They don't really engage with you. They don't really talk with you. They're not interested. They don't show up for events. They're not a part of things. They're there in the home, 
but they are withdrawn from you. And there's a tendency for you to think, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me that my parent would act like this? And then the fourth parent wound is the absent parent. And look, it might not be his fault. It might not be her fault. You may have a parent who passed away, but they're still absent. They're still gone. And it, it, just, it just leaves this little gap in your life. Or even worse, your parents are divorcing. So you've got one parent who's just walking away. And maybe they'll stay in touch with you, and maybe they won't. And so you've got this little hole in your heart that you think, well, I can fill that hole by having a boyfriend or by having a girlfriend or by achieving enough or by making enough money or by accumulating enough stuff. And let me tell you, that hole will never be filled up by those kind of things because it is a God-shaped whole, and it's only your heavenly father that can fill that gap, that can bring emotional and spiritual healing to your life. So I understand what I'm going to say this morning is going to be hard for many of you to hear because of those wounds, but I want to love you enough this morning to risk my relationship with you. I want to love you enough this morning to say, look, here's what God is saying. Here's how you need to respond to your parents. And then I'm going to call you to be strong and courageous and to take that step. Three things I want to remind you of. The first one is found in the book of Colossians. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 and I want you to appreciate your parents. It says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Number one, I want you to appreciate your parents. I want you to be thankful for your parents. So I am on British Air, Airlines, and I'm overseas in Europe, and I get into a conversation with a flight attendant, and I say to the flight attendant, are teenagers different from different parts of the world? And she goes, oh, yeah. She goes, I go, tell me, give me some examples. She goes, well, she goes, for example, Australian teenagers. She goes, they're just lay back. You know, good day, mate, and, you know, whatever happens, happens, and they don't get all upset, and they don't freak out, and all that stuff. They're just pretty laid back. She goes, French teenagers, man, they are out of control. French teenagers are out of control. I say to her, what about American teenagers? She stops and she thinks a little bit and she says to me, American teenagers feel entitled. 
They expect a high degree of service, and if you don't provide them with that service, they will complain and whine and peeve and moan. I want to know this morning how many of us feel entitled. I'm entitled. I'm entitled to an iPhone. I'm entitled to a car. I'm entitled to this house. I'm entitled to food. I'm entitled to this bed to sleep in. I deserve all this and more. And I just want to let you know, when that is your attitude, it kills appreciation. You miss out on all the little ways that God and your parents are blessing you and you never, ever thank them. I want you to get rid of your expectations, and I want you to appreciate your parents. You know, I speak two languages fluently, and I don't know how many languages you speak, but I speak English, and I speak sarcasm. Let me tell you what I discovered about sarcasm. And this may not be true of you. This is true of me. Sarcasm was a wall I hid behind so I didn't have to be vulnerable. See, it was easy for me to look at somebody and you say, <laughs> you're stupid. Come on. Come on, what's the matter? Can't you take a joke? That was easy. It was hard for me to look at somebody and say, I care about you or I appreciate you or I love you or I think you are wonderful, that's hard. Because to do that, you know what you're doing in reality? You are taking your heart and you're reaching it out to somebody. And you're saying to them, I care about you. And you know what you risk them doing? You risk them going, I don't care. But I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Why? You can appreciate and you can love because you are greatly loved by God. Once you embrace his love and you experience his amazing love, then the love of others is a bonus to you and not something you require to survive. So appreciate. Tonight, you sit down at the dinner table. And one of your parents looks at you and says, um, would you please uh, pray for the meal? Pray for that? Sure. Could probably use prayer. Okay, let's pray. Father, be pleased to accept this burnt offering. Or immediately, you sit down at the table and you begin to complain. Oh, I don't like that. Oh, that looks funny. Oh, that smells funny. <laughs> Ooh, that moved. Ooh. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stop with the sarcasm, and I want you to appreciate. When's the last time you said, Mom, thank you for this meal? Dad, thank you for this meal. Thank you for washing my clothes. Thank you for a car I can drive around in. Thank you for providing me with a phone. Thank you for caring about me. I want you to do that. 
I want you to think of two things you appreciate about your parents, and I want you to tell the person either on your left or on your right. Go. All right, look back up here. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to tell your parents. I want you to communicate this to your parents. I want you to appreciate them. You know, on the flip side of the parent wounds, I want to say some of you have amazing parents. Some of you have great parents, incredible parents that you are totally taking for granted. Some of you, honestly, you have been a pain in the rear end. Your attitude stinks. Your response stinks. You are selfish. You are self-centered. Stop it. Just stop it. How many of you would be willing to come up here? I'm asking this rhetorically. I'm not really going to have anybody come up, so don't raise your hands. How many of you would be willing to come up here, allow me to reach out, lay my hand on your head, and pray this prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, I pray when this person is married and they have children, that their children will treat them exactly the way they have treated their parents. If you're sitting there thinking, uh-oh, that's a good indication maybe that you need to make some changes. Go home and appreciate your parents. Honestly, some of you, first thing you need to do tonight when you walk through the door is you need to do this. Mom, Dad, I apologize to you. I apologize for the way I have acted. I apologize for the way I've treated you. I apologize for the way I've spoken to you. Would you please forgive me? And then you know what? Appreciate your parents. Love on your parents. Do what God is calling you to do. Bring glory to him by making him look good in your relationship with them. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to communicate with them. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Ephesians 4.29 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Communication is the lifeblood of every relationship. If you're going to be good friends, and I'm assuming you're sitting by a friend, turn to this person and say, you are a friend. Good. 
I'm going to assume you talk to one another. Uh, some of you, some of you right now, you have a boyfriend, you have a girlfriend. Some of you may be sitting by a member of the opposite sex, and even now as you glance at them, your heart goes pitter-patter. Now look up here. When you are out on a date with this person and you are sitting in like a really, really nice restaurant, kind of a McDonald's with candlelight, do you, do you talk to one another or does it go something like this? Men, do you look at her and do you go, And women, do you look back at him and go, that would be a strange relationship, okay? People in that McDonald's would be staring at you. No. No. You talk to each other because you like each other. I want you to go home and I want you to talk to your parents. Anytime you communicate a message, it's made of three parts. 7% of the message are the words. Hello. How are you? Nice to see you. 38% of the message you communicate is your voice inflection, it's your volume, it's how you say it, and 55% of every message you communicate is it's nonverbal. It's how you stand, it's your facial expression, it's what you do with your hands. People say to me, what? You're saying that only 7% is words and 93% is other? I don't believe that. Oh, really? Allow me to say the same thing to you three times and you tell me if you notice a difference, okay? Can I use you in this illustration? You don't have to move. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is just sit there, okay? I'm going to say the same thing to you three times. You see if you notice a difference. Here we go. Number one. Hey, I'm not upset. Hey, I'm not upset.
said the same thing three times, you better have gotten three different messages or you are in big trouble. It's important when you are home that you stop sending contradictory messages. Here's a contradictory message. You come home. Take your stuff. Sit out the dinner table. They pass you the mashed potatoes. You pass it on. And they look at you and they say, Honey, what's wrong? And what's your response? Nothing! That's a contradictory message. 7% of the message says, nothing's wrong. 93% says, I'm really upset. When you walk through the door at 12.07 and you're supposed to be in at midnight and your father is waiting with lecture 248B coming home late, and he begins, how many times have I told you? You are to be in this house by midnight. And you stand there and you do this. And you say, yeah, well, I'm sorry. Your father says, no, you aren't. Go to your room. You say, yes, I am. I said I was sorry. No, you didn't. 7% of the message said, I'm sorry. 93% of the message said, you're ignorant. 93% of the message said, I'll do whatever I want to do. You've got to learn now as men and women to send complete messages. Otherwise, you are confusing the people around you. You are confusing your friends. You are confusing the people you date. You are confusing your parents. You've got to speak the truth in love. And do not do this. You walk in the door and your mother says, Oh, hi, honey. How was your day? Fine. So, uh, how was the test? Okay. So, uh, what happened the rest of the day? Nothing. If you just give one-word answers to your parents, do you know what you are saying to your parents? You are saying to them this. You cannot trust me. You cannot trust me. I am withholding information from you. If you want your parents to trust you, if you want to say, I am becoming a man, I am becoming a woman, then here's a heads up. Then start acting like a man. Then start acting like a woman. Then engage your parents. Share information with them. And you know what you will do? You will build trust in the home. I want you to go home. I want you to express appreciation to your parents, and I want you to talk to them. I actually want you to spend some time tonight talking with them. You have made your home out to be a Motel 6 and a Chick-fil-A, where I blitz in, 
I blitz out. I blitz in, I blitz out. And you are treating your parents like they are less than. Look, when you graduate from this school, I I hope you maintain friendships, but chances are you won't. The friends you make in high school are usually not the friends that last a lifetime. It's more so people you meet in college and beyond. But let me tell you who I hope is going to always be there and walk with you and care about you. It's going to be your parents. And there will be few people in your life, I hope, that will love you more than your parents love you. So begin to treat them with respect. And then lastly, the last thing I'd like you to do and this is probably the hardest, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, I'm going to ask you to obey your parents. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Whoa. What is the promise? The promise is so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Here's an interesting question I'd like you to think about. Are things going poorly in your life right now? If the answer is yes, will you just do a little self-check? And ask yourself the question, how have I been responding to my parents? Because God says, obey them. Now that's become the dirty word today. The dirty word is obey. Uh Uh-uh, no way. I'm going to do what my feelings dictate to me. I want to go do what I feel like doing and be what I feel like being. And I'm I'm not going to be under anybody's authority. I'm not going to obey anybody. I understand we have a culture that's screaming that, but I want to tell you honest and truly, you are not going to grow as men and women if you do not allow yourself to become accountable to others. Right now, I have an accountability partner. His name is Bob McCray. And he and I have been accountability partners for years. And he speaks into my life. And as iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. And if you will allow it, your parents can sharpen you. Your parents have lived longer than you have lived. They have made some of the same stupid mistakes they're encouraging you not to make. God has placed them in your life to influence you in a positive way. Now, you do not need to obey your parents when it comes to abuse. And you do not need to obey your parents when they ask you to do things that contradict with God's word. But otherwise, you need to respond to them positively. God will never, ever use you as a leader until you first learn to be a follower. You say to me, what what am I going to do with my life? Well, I want to be an influencer on YouTube. Really? 
You want other people to listen to you? You want other people to follow what you say when you aren't teachable? That's a joke. That is a total joke. You got to put yourself under authority. You've got to learn from other people so that God can elevate you and God can work through you and maybe you will be able to influence others. But not until you learn to follow. Three things I'd like you to do in relationship to your parents. Appreciate them and tell them tonight you appreciate them. Number two, communicate with them. Actually sit down and talk with them. Engage them in conversation. When the meal's done, linger a little bit and talk with your parents. And number three, be obedient. Just do what they're asking you to do. And it is the first commandment with a promise so that you will do well in life. God will honor you as you honor your parents. As you treat your parents, so God will treat you. Don't miss out on that blessing from him. Thank you for allowing me to say some really uncomfortable things to you. Thank you for letting me say some really hard things to you. And I know some of you received this. Some of you slept through the whole thing. I totally get that. My responsibility this week is to present to you the truth. Your responsibility is to either receive it or to reject it. But if you choose to reject it, you should think through what your alternatives are going to be. And for you to rebel against great parents and then expect to go into life and to get married and everything to go smoothly and everything with your children to be fine and all of that, you are deceiving yourself you are basically building up for you some problems that are going to haunt you. So starting now, make good choices. We're going to bow together in prayer, and then there are going to be a couple of announcements, and then you're going to be dismissed, okay? Let's bow. I will step off the platform and would love to talk with you. If you have questions, if you want to share some things, if I can encourage you, I would be glad to do that. Of the three things we talked about, appreciate, communicate, obey, while your heads are bowed, what's the first step you need to take? What's the first one you need to work on? I'm going to ask you to just honor your parents so that God honors you.
Lord, thank you for this chapel, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about hard things. And I pray for students who come out of dysfunctional families. And I pray for students who have parents that leave wounds. And I pray for students that are living in the midst of chaos. And I ask that your personal presence would be there with them. And I pray you would bring them your peace that passes all understanding. I ask that you would protect them. And I want you to remind them that the chaos and the abuse does not define them. You define them. And I thank you this morning that you think these students from hard homes and from good homes, you think they are wonderful and you think they are awesome and you think they are tremendous. And I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for their lives. God bless them this day. Might they sense your presence and your pleasure. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.